Hello and welcome to another Spack Insider podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with Kirk Taylor, President and CFO of American Acquisition Opportunity, Inc. It announced a $97 million combination agreement with Royalty Management Corporation in June. Royalty Management has pulled together a range of unique financing arrangements that give it royalties on business activities ranging from water treatment utilities to coal exploration and land renewal. Kirk discusses how the available pipe terms for SPACs have changed over the past year, and how redemptions turned from an impediment to an unexpected advantage as his SPAC sought out a right-sized target. Take a listen. So one of the big changes we've seen in the broader market, but in the SPAC market particularly, is a major shift in the appetite towards near-term predictable cash flows. And that's what your target royalty management is really all about. And I just find it interesting, you know, because the, the, the sentiments have changed since you IPO'd last year, but you did set out to find a natural resources target uh, with your IPO originally, which this is in a sense, but did your strategy shift at all as, as the market was shifting and as you're just kind of seeing how things were playing out there? Actually, no, uh, Nick, the, the market came back to us during this process. We set out in our IPO when we did our roadshow, we talked to the investors about finding a fundamental business in an industry that we can add value to. We operate a resource company, mining company, American Resources, which is publicly listed on the NASDAQ. We set out to find a real company that had real opportunity, but was also generating cash flow that we could help enhance their value. During the past 15 months or so, there's been a lot of exuberance in the SPAC market. We looked at over 50 targets. Many of them had pro forma value, but not real value. And we passed on those. We did significant work on three targets over the past you know, 15 months. Each of those were real businesses in transitioning industry fields. Each of those had real cash flow and real value, but for various reasons, each of those deals fell apart from the target side. But our focus on finding fundamentals to bring public has really never changed. And I want to get into the various constituent parts of royalty management's portfolio, but first, could you just talk a, bit, a little bit about the strategic relationship it's going to have with American Resources and Land Betterment and how those will evolve over time? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been operating in the resource space for nearly two, two decades now. And through that time period, we've seen lots of ups, ups and downs. We've seen a lot of players monetize assets correctly and then mismanage assets during those cycles. One thing that we bring to the table is our ability to look at the entire pie of an asset. Let's not monetize just one side of the pie. Let's look to see how we can monetize all of it. And that's where American Resources fits in in monetizing initial extraction of, Ameri- of resources, where we're a mining company, we're mining for initial inputs into the steel industry. We also have a rare earth and critical element business where we can go and extract lithium, uh, nickel, cobalt out of end-of-life material or waste streams. We can add those technologies to the asset base that Royalty Magico already has and help them monetize those asset bases. On the backside of resource extraction comes a reclamation piece. You always want to be a good steward to the environment and the community you're working within. And our company, Land Betterment, which is a separate private company with its own independent board, has focused on monetizing end-of-life resources and monetizing the cash flow streams from reclamation and remediation work. Once you tie those together, you have a full package of cash flow and environmental stewardship 
that we think is first in in this industry right now. No one else is doing that. Right. And then across crypto, utilities, real estate, and agriculture, royalty management has several different transaction structures. So can you get into how those vary? And what are some of the pluses and the minuses with them, depending on the sector? Yeah, so the pluses is diversification. During the AMAO target review, when we looked at over 50 targets, we saw several single asset resource plays, whether it be a, a copper mine, a tin mine, those types of things. But what we valued was diversification revenue streams. We didn't want to be tied solely to one commodity class. This Realty Management Co. has a diversified portfolio focused on current cash flow, then some more aspirational items as well, which you mentioned, Marlena. So each of those are a little bit unique, but they focus on value streams that nobody else is capturing. So on the, on the data hosting side, there are mass imbalances in power generation and power uses in many communities. The utility companies have to produce a certain amount of power to meet peak needs. Because transitioning industry has lessened the demand for that power, no one's using it. So it's going to waste. Why don't we put in data hosting centers that can capture that unused demand power for cheaper prices? So we're bringing high-tech jobs into these transitioning communities and monetizing a resource, which is the excess energy that was going to waste. And so those are the kind of the, the new next level ideas that Royalty Management Code brings to the table that we, we did not see in any other companies or royalty companies that we looked at during our process. Got it. And then just diving into some of those assets a bit further. So far, only one of royalty management's assets is located overseas, which is in South Africa. And you mentioned in your materials that the company has the advantage of reduced risk with most of the portfolio being U.S.-based. But would you consider other international investments? And what are some of the extra considerations you're making around those sorts of opportunities? Yeah, so the, the investment that Royalty Management Co. has in South Africa, the mine and the asset is very valuable, but the team is even more valuable, right? And so whenever you're looking for international expansion, the team is very important. The connections that that team has with local uh, government officials allows for future investments to go into the region efficiently and transparently, right? So you know where the money is going and you know how you can monetize that investment. And so I think that's the blueprint that Relative Management Co. will use in looking at foreign expansion, investing in high caliber team and then using that as a platform to branch out for other opportunities. As far as the individual deals goes, you know, passive revenue streams are, are great, but can you talk a bit about how royalty management has been financing these deals uh, on an upfront basis? What kind of investment is it typically putting in to secure these yeah, so, transactions? Yeah, so it de depends on the asset, right? And so a typical royalty stream will be financed in two ways. One will be an initial up slug of upfront capital. The second will be incremental capital to progress the asset along its permitting process. And so Relative Management Co. has done both. Uh, its investment into a producing metallurgical coal asset was upfront capital used to acquire that block of, of active mining. And now it's being repaid current cash flow already from that investment. The second uh, game plan would be to invest incrementally in permit development for future mining. And so many mining companies want to use their capital in the most effective way possible buying equipment, hiring men and women to, to produce revenue. 
finding an alternative source to do exploration or permitting work is very valuable to them. And so Relative Management Co. is a lot is able to invest incrementally in the permitting process and it will achieve a royalty based upon those investments. Those are a little bit further out from a revenue generation standpoint. I got it. And just, you know, kind of looking at the public company profile that royalty management is going to look like with some real estate in the portfolio, it has some characteristics of a REIT, but obviously it's much closer to like a listed royalty trust in terms of the field. They, they trade a pretty wide multiple ranges in the public markets. But so what are some of the metrics you think are most important in assessing royalty management's model against this sort of wider space? Yeah, I, I think that today people value current cash flow more than anything. Over the past five years in the public markets, I think unsubstantiated growth was valued. Today, cash flow and real growth is, is at a premium. I think that's exactly what Royalty Management Co. will embrace. It has, like I said, current as, assets that are green cash flow. It's invested in near-term generating cash flow, but it also has some of the aspirational opportunities as well, investing some transformative agriculture and recycling IP that that really could be game changers in the field, but not taking that operational risk by investing in the actual operating company. So I think as the overall market rotates into kind of a value play, it'll find a good niche within that, within that industry. One other reason we like the royalty aspect is that in times of rising commodity prices or declining commodity prices, uh, generally, the royalty gets paid first and off the top, right? Um, and so we're not worried about input costs, output costs going up or down. Uh, we're fairly secured in the revenue stack, and we're able to continue to monetize those investments through boom cycles and, and down cycles. Got it. And then just going back to the individual assets, Royalty Management has an agreement in place with its sister company, Land Betterment, which is linked to its LBX coin. And it's been a pretty rough market for cryptocurrency lately, to say the least. But LBX is linked to a very specific transaction ecosystem. So can you just dive into that and explain how that works? Yeah, absolutely. And so it goes back to transparency. And so uh, LBX is based upon utilizing blockchain to transparently track carbon offsets and land re remediation. So over last five years, carbon offsets have really come to the forefront. A lot of times the traceability of where that offset comes from is a little bit suspect, right? And so the LBX solves that issue by putting the reclamation work on the blockchain. So it can only be done once. It can be tracked fully, fully through the process but it's also exactly tied to the state or regulator set value for that reclamation work. And so nobody can come up with an astronomical value for what this forest in Brazil may be worth and generate an offset by it. We can actually go back right to the state that required reclamation work and said, and say this thousand acres, this is worth $4 million. And that's exactly the value that the token will be generated uh, for the rec reclaiming party. We feel that it's vitally important, like I kind of said before, incentivizing the proper environmental stewardship of resource uses. You know, royalty companies have not always been there for what comes after the mining. They're very happy to take their royalty up front. And when that extractive resource is gone, 
so are they, right? But we thought it was very important to find, you know, a target like Royalty Management Co. who looks at both sides. How do we get value out of the front end of that resource? But then how do we do the right thing and make sure that the environment and then the community is restored post initial mining activity? Right. And then on the other end, the company has a number of portfolio items collecting royalties from coal coal exploitation. Uh, just how sensitive do you see those agreements being to changes in environmental regulations? Yep. So not exploitation, but exploration. I, I think that we we value the initial inputs into the infrastructure market. The royalty streams that Royalty Management Co. has are all on metallurgical coal, which is used in steel production, is not used in thermal power generation. And we do believe that, that if you look at infrastructure markets globally, even in recession re- recessionary environments, generally governments step up to invest in infrastructure, and that will create a floor in, in steel prices um, and other infrastructure goods. And in times of robust spending, private industry invests in expansion and again, needs steel and infrastructure. So I think by pairing both ends of the process, initial resource extraction, but then also the making sure the, reme- the remediation is done in an economical fashion, I think it's a holistic view of resource extraction. Great. And I want to get into this BACS journey a bit as well. You know, American Acquisition Opportunity did see its trust reduced significantly in an earlier extension vote, but we've also seen some of the largest BACs out there seeming to struggle to find right-sized transactions because of how large their trusts were uh, compared to their, their target universe that's really available. And so, I mean, do you feel like there are some advantages in being smaller and, and nimbler once you got to the other end of that? Oh, 100%. When we went through our IPO, we set out to raise $100 million dollars and our bankers said we could go up to 200 million. We said no, because of the exact problem we just raised. And then when we went through our trust extension, we chose to let the redemptions go because it would allow us to be more nimble and look at a different subset of opportunities that we had to pass on when we had 106 million in our trust. So just in most of our businesses, we look at challenges and adversity for, we look for the opportunity within them. And so I think with a smaller trust, it opened up a wider net of companies to look at. And, and luckily, Royalty Management Co. came to us and, uh, and it fit within the smaller set of uh, trust size. That's interesting because we're seeing, it seems like a major topic among the broader SPAC market is everyone's worried about redemptions and how to reduce the redemptions, et cetera, through sort of the macro pressures that we're under right now. And one way that they've been doing that is they've been scrambling to get pipes either before announcement or after announcement and, and try to get as, as big of a pipe as they can, just so they can make sure they hit their minimum cash conditions, all that kind of stuff. Uh, one thing I found interesting in your materials, you actually pointed out that this deal structure intentionally avoided leaning on a pipe. Could you explain that? Yeah, so we want a good deal for our shareholders and putting in a complicated pipe structure that puts the pipe investors ahead of our common stockholders in the retail environment, that's not good for our shareholders. That's going to make sure the pipe investor gets paid first. They will have so many bells and whistles on that pipe structure that my common holders will get hurt. And so how do we navigate around that? We found a real company that didn't need $100 million to finance out some past mistake, right? They're currently cash flowing, their business is, is capitalized. And so we can develop proper capital stack for a company the size of Royalty Management Co. and not try to fit, you know, 
a round peg of a square hole, like many of these D SPACs have to go through. Sure. I just wanted to follow up on that. And just that one thing that we've had some SPACs tell us is that they view the pipe also and sort of being almost like a kind of a credibility play or a verification measure that the, the valuation in the deal is, is correct. You know, at least you have some third party that looks at it. So it's like, yeah, no, we think this is a good investment at this price. I mean, did you think about it from that standpoint as well? Or do you think that maybe that's, that's not always what's going on? I mean, sort of what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So we've, you know, we've been inside this process. Like I said, we we did extensive work on three other deals. Two of those deals had we brought a pipe into those those deals, and the structure that has to be in place is, is so is so detrimental to the long term value of shareholders. And there are so many resets that the pipe investor will put in there that there is very little fundamental work being done on company value. They just want to make sure that they get to be the first one off the Titanic if they need to be off, right? Uh, and so they, they, they have a few escape hatches written into their agreements that are really completely decoupled from target company valuation. And so we, we go, have gone through that process. I tremendously value the, the two investors that, that were committed to the two deals we had, but most of the folks out there were just looking for quick trade, right? And that's not something we're, we were interested in. You know, from, from a valuation standpoint, a ton of market comps, right, in the royalty space, myself and my team, we have significant history uh, and expertise in looking at these type of deals. And so that along with our other advisors, we felt we could get to a, a good value that would not top tick, you know, uh, value. No one's getting cashed out of this deal, like some of the other past ones we looked at. Um, everyone's rolling their equity over and really looking to, to drive long-term value post-SPAC. And then what do you think will be the biggest advantage royalty management will be able to take away from being publicly listed? The use of capital, the use of public company currency to make acquisitions and access cheaper capital. So uh, as a private company, you often only have a few avenues to raise money to put that money to work. As a public company, you have more. And so if you construct it well on the front end, that public currency can be very valuable. Not saying you want to, you even need to sell your equity, but um, to raise money. But it provides an extra avenue to be opportunistic when highly accretive deals come your way. And then, are there any other sectors that we haven't mentioned yet that seem like exciting opportunities for a royalty generating investment? Yeah, I think regenerative agriculture is is one that Royalty Manager Co. will strongly be looking at, and we. SPAC AMAO, we looked at several companies in this space as well. All of them had a financing problem. All of them uh, had great ideas, but didn't have the money to finance it themselves. Royalty Magico can be a great financing arm for many of those high CapEx needed businesses. Royalty Magico can help those businesses turn their business from a sales model, which is hard, to a lease model, which is easier. When going from a sales model, to a lease model, you go from CapEx, which gets approved once a year, right, to an OpEx, which most managers already have a budget for. And so by helping growing companies in you know, ag tech or property tech make their sales cycle easier by going from a sale to a lease model, uh, I think it'd be beneficial from both sides. So I think that's some, that's some of the areas that beyond traditional ro- royalty streams, relationships that we have that we can introduce Royalty Magic Code to can really be powerful. And I'm excited to see where some of those will go as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly interesting and it's certainly a unique company. You know, uh, I'm just curious what your your conversations with investors have been like, just because, you know, sometimes the, the diversification has an obvious value unto itself, but sometimes there's the, the double edge of complexity that investors may not have time to fully understand, you know, whereas peer royalty or streaming companies mm-hmm. are just focused on one commodity like silver or gold or something like that. They can make, you know, cases pretty easily that, okay, this acquisition is accretive, it increases our NAV, so that based on the amount of shares we're issuing, whatever, it, it makes sense. And they're like, yep. okay, yeah, I understand that. Uh, have you had any, you know, I guess, how, how are those conversations going when you know, people are asking like, well, I want one easy NAV number or one easy asset number? Like, how does, how is that all been going? Yep. So it helps that the current cash flow is all coming from metallurgical coal sales, right? So, so we can point investors into that bucket. So it's really three buckets. One is your traditional royalty streams, uh, mineral streams. And so far, that is what people have been gravitating towards. The second two buckets, sustainable assets and IP and technology, are a little bit more aspirational. And since those aren't generating cash flow today, investors have just been adding that to the value proposition from an aspirational standpoint, but really taking a look at the current cash flow for current valuation metrics. Great. Well, this has been fascinating. It's, it's a very unique company and, and really a unique story in terms of a transaction. Uh, it's going to be exciting to see how this all rolls out. Um, before I let you go, I, this deal was not announced too too long ago. Uh, can you give us a sense of sort of what you're looking at in terms of the, the timeline moving forward? Yeah. So we, we started working on this in April. And so we announced we've done a lot of work through those few months. Uh, we've announced our deal just here at the end of June. Um, and we're working through the SEC process, but I think that uh, awareness is always important. So I appreciate you guys giving us a chance here to tell the story. Um, I do think it's unique, both in the DSPAC space, but also just in the overall royalty space as well. And so, yeah, no, we just wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you again, but but start to share share what Royalty Manager Co. is all about. And I think that we'll be very excited to continue to show progression of their business plan over the next couple of months as we go through the, uh, the SEC process. Great. Well, we're looking forward to that. And, you know, pure SPAC watchers like myself uh, certainly enjoy anytime SPACs do something different or go to a completely different sector. I get to learn tons of new stuff. So, so thank you for that. And thanks for being on. No, 100% appreciate your time and uh, hope to speak to you again on an update.